Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash cultural stew. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Cultural Stew Podcast, coming to you from the Goat Factory Media Entertainment Studios. We are your cultural media recommendation podcast, giving you our take on what we think is worth carving your time out for, and also what we think you can pass on and maybe go cut that lawn instead. Warning, we use adult language, and there may be spoilers ahead. Hello and welcome to episode number 10 for the week of... April 15th, 2018. I am your host, Ron Herkins Jr., and I am joined by my co-hosts... Tony Carter. And Valerie Widmar. Hello and welcome. How are you doing this week? Good. Good? Good. Do anything fun? Uh, we worked <laughs> We worked on the science project. It was actually given to us in January. I was uh, waiting for Jason and Zoe to kind of like get together on that, but... Life happens, so we kind of threw it together in the last week. But it was about meteorites. Fascinating. I learned a lot about meteorites. Hmm. Things that you probably wouldn't uh, think about or know. So, yeah, it ended up being really awesome, and she's a natural. So that was kind of our week was focusing on making sure she got that done. And to school on Friday, but then they're not giving it until Monday. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? Now these kids have to stress out for two more days, but she's not stressed out at all. So it was awesome. Fun stuff. Fun. I uh, I had the opportunity to hop over to Blackfriars Theater last night, and they had a special evening with Rick Lyon. He's the um, puppeteer, designer, and master and origination of Nikki and Trekkie Monster on Avenue Q. And he's actually from here. And Blackfriars is putting on Avenue Q uh, in May. And they're actually using the puppets from uh, his shop cool. from Avenue Q. Coast. So they'll actually have the real puppets. And so he's been in town working with the actors over the last couple of days. And he came last night to actually do a kind of like a little, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is a little bit of my background. So me and my oldest daughter, Emma, went over there. And uh, she she liked it. I mean, she actually walked away. She's like, "Yeah, this is a one one lifetime opportunity." You know, we talked about you know his his like fifteen years with uh, the Henson Company, with working with Sesame Street and doing stuff with the Muppets, and his work with Jim Henson. That's and awesome. Then his origination on uh, how he got started with um, Avenue Q and. Yeah. Was this publicized or was this just like your inner? Yeah, it's been so. publicized. It's been out there for at least three months. I wish. I would know these things. We had about probably about two thirds of the Facebook. I have issues with. I can't ever get on there. You need to send me a little like. Could you subscribe? Hey, this is what I'm doing. You just need to send me your um, activity. What what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Or just go to Blackfriars and subscribe to their mailing list. Yeah, that works too. But there's a yeah, true. Because they have tons of things. Okay. Like even like Saturdays they have um, drag story. I saw that. There's one of their kicking money to that thing sometime soon. And they just released their season for next year. They're going to be doing Rocky Horror. Mm. They one are? The big ones. Yeah. <laughs> With Kasha Davis, that's, the same one who does the drag stories. That's exciting. 
I put on Rocky Horror. You like Rocky Horror? I put on, I put it on uh, University of Kansas. We were, I think, we were the first ones. I was uh, the feature films coordinator for the union, and we were the first ones that were able to put it on at midnight. Mm. And we gave out the bags mm-hmm. that everybody used. And uh, my sister, my older sister Wendy, introduced it to me when I was probably a little bit too young, but uh, loved it ever since. I'll be nice and say it's not in my top 10. <laughs> Dude, it's not a movie to watch. It's I'm a, not show. a show. I'm talking about either. If Tim, it's her, it's, it, it, it's hard because Tim Curry is why I watch it. I think that's why Grace watched it too. He's, he's fantastic. How about you, Tony? What's you up to this week? Um, I finished my first scene for my play. Congratulations. I know. It usually takes me a day or two, but distracted much and perfectionist much made me write 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 delete 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 write 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 delete delete a lot of that nonsense and then yesterday saturday there was a ice storm warning so i got to stay home and do nothing but stare at my screen and get ice drain and write how many can i ask how many pages uh let's see i think three and a half pages okay took me a week to write it so but i'm a perfectionist and it's about dialogue theater's about writing dialogue well so had nailed that down. How many characters can I ask? Um, right now there are two. One's a minor character and one's a major, but total is about five characters. Cool. Well, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment as far as I'm concerned. Not for me, but... For me. For you, yeah. I mean, writing in general is hard. You're so... Not for me. Well, I, I'm used to writing faster than this, so it's I humbling to take my time and actually... If I get... If I start writing, <laughs> I'm fast. It's just doing it. it yeah it's doing it it's hard my problem is the few times that i've write, written anything and it's like i get like 15 pages in and then it's like me just what just why i'm gone. telling people i'm writing so i keep writing so i don't have people asking me and holding me accountable i was like oh this idea is not going where i wanted to go skip find something else so the best i wish i'm sorry i wish i would remember who told me but the best advice i got about writing was, okay, sit down and write the worst play possible. Just sit down, think about the play, and then just write the worst version you possibly can. Because then you don't have that feeling of perfectionism, and then you can go back and see if there's anything good in there. It's just for me, it's getting the idea that sticks. Like I have so many ideas, I read so much, and I just, I'm aware that I need to find one idea that I can live with for three months. And then see it realized on stage or at least workshopped. And that's the thing about film too. When I'm writing something, can I stick with this for a year or two? Mm-hmm. Because if I can't, I'm not going to want to sit there watching people say my lines or direct them doing it. That's just my rule of thumb. Can I get past this hump to see it realized? If not, I got to find something else to do. Do you do anything like storyboarding? I mean, do you do anything? I do really bad. I mean, on my uh, Facebook page, sometimes when I wrote a whole screenplay and I was going to film a couple scenes, I write really bad chicken scratch, you know, figure rings, little stick figures and camera movements that are really amateur drawing wise, but they get the point across about what I want. So I know and my actors know and cool. it's weird. Fun. Well, if you're listening <laughs> you know, to like, this. Fun. It can be. Well, if you're listening to this episode, thank you for sticking around after the last episode. <laughs> we actually now, uh, the last episode was our most played and downloaded episode ever. So 
We have a lot of people listening after whatever. I think it's because we fought. <laughs> uh, um, Jason has a real hard time. Listen, he gets Valerie. Valerie, can you? Just, you're just getting really passionate about this. You just really you need to listen. I'm like, passion dude, is good. We like passion. He was very uncomfortable. Good. So, I guess that that was a good thing. It is what it is. I'm. I don't see us agreeing 100 percent of the time all the time, and. Uh, Hey, even what we recommend, you out there is not going to uh, agree with it 100% of the time, all the time. Um, today's docket, uh, we've got a bunch of news to roll through. Our recommendations of the week go through Sergeant Stubby. Valerie will give us the update on that one. Um, I dug through Wild Wild Country on Netflix, and Anthony went back in time and did Thanks for Sharing. Uh, 2012? I believe 2012, so. I think. Um, and then today's stew, uh, we're going to see how this one goes. Um, we're going to talk about <laughs> how films detect, depict mental illness and the media that ties into that this week is going to be I Smile Back, um, a piece starring Sarah Silverman. And it is definitely not a comedy, according to Valerie. <laughs> Well, according to all of us, I know. We'll see. How, we'll see how much. We're going to see how much actually uh, you talk in the show today. Yeah, Ron, how much you're going to talk? I usually keep mental illness stuff close to my vest. So, um, and then we're going to, as usual, roll through what's on our radar, what's in our queue. But first, here we go with what is our news. All right, who wants to lead us off in the news today? You do. <laughs> Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> Whoever wrote. <laughs> All right, well, let's start off with some sad, somber news. Um, Milo's foreman was 86. He died. Yeah. Uh, he directed Once One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Amadeus, Hare, among others. Uh, <laughs> I wrote Hare in there because even though it's not the best movie in the entire world, I It's not the best it. movie, but the music is good. I, I dig it. I really do. And Amadeus yes. was, well, I saw that movie when it came out. I think, can I, is that 84? 84. Um, so I was nine years old and I was captivated. So. We talked about that during our Oscar. I was a fetus when it was. Oh, uh, hush up. Jeez. I could hear it in the womb. That's how special it was for me. And that you saw it years later. Ah, uh, jeez. Anyway, Harris Hair, meant to see on stage. You can watch the movie, but the music, just listen to the music. Well, yeah, I think the movie could have been a lot more cohesive, but for what it was, it was It got good. the point across. Yeah. It's not for everyone. Jeeves doing hair next year. They are. They are? Yes. It's the first they show are? to kick off the season. Okay. Plug. Did you see my face? I about freaked out. The face you were not seeing is the face <laughs> that was even more so than Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> I... That was the first show that I, I went to go see and the music. And then I just, after I saw it, um, it was picketed, of course. It's, it's, it was a Ken, Wichita, Kansas. Um, there was a lot of fog on stage during the naked scene, which though it was not that big a deal. Um, and I just played the record. I had a record player over, over, over and again. So it, it's close to my heart. What else we got in here? News. Well, Fox Searchlight is launching their own TV division, which in English means they can go through the whole <laughs> film canon 
and rip things from that and make TV shows out of it. Okay. So, give us an example of something. Let's say Sideways, which is a novel. First, was adapted to the screen by Alexander Payne, who's one of my favorite directors, writers. Him and Jim Taylor took that to the film, which was very funny. I, yes. I enjoyed it very much. And it brought wine wine drinking back into being acceptable. Oh my gosh! Yes. Every time I say, like, <laughs> "I'm not drinking Merlot." Now, Rex Pickett, I know you're listening because you listen to this podcast. Um, I agree with you, but see, they have your cinematic TV rights, so they can take Sideways, the novel, and Vertical, the novel, and Sideways Three in Chile, and turn it into a TV show. Which they how do we feel about this? Good. Mm. If they do it right. Mm, well, yeah. I mean, it's just expanding their horizons, I guess. You know? Can they create new shows as well? They can, but they're going to use their library as, yeah, see, there you go. Tongue stick out. Oh, yeah. sorry. They will. I they love, will you guys just tell me every. Material. So, yeah, we're going to have to. A little piece of news that ties in with what we talked about last week with the Netflix thing. Uh, the big news out of this week is that Netflix actually pulled all of their stuff out of cans this week. Um, Khan's basically told them the week before that none of their films would be eligible because Netflix didn't want to open up in any theaters. And so Netflix says, okay, we're packing up our Why stuff. Why aren't they Rip. not even uh, for a week or two? Nothing. Mm-mm. No, they're pulling all their stuff out of Khan. So. Well, how, uh, how are they going to watch it there anyway if it's not going to be in a theater? They Am have digital cons. Like, yeah, they, they, produce, they preview it in theaters. But. They're not going to release it. That's why they're saying you're pulled out. No. I'm confused. I'm sorry. Khan said to Netflix, you are not, because we're changing our rules, you're not um, eligible for any of the awards. Okay. You're not eligible for the awards because you won't open your stuff in theaters in France. France. And so Netflix said, you don't want to do that. We're just gonna take all of our films and go away. So they are. They took their booth and everything that, or their booth. Uh, <laughs> you know whatever. what I mean? Yeah, you know. yeah. They took all that and went away. So Netflix is no longer a cons. Okay, and smooth. That was after last year of them getting. Uh, was is it, it cons or cans? Oh, Joka. I know you're talking about. Got booed heavily. It depends on how you want to say it. You could be cons or cans. You could be American and say I thought cans. It was cans. But it's cons. I thought, it was cons. I thought there was no S. Americans say Con. cans. Can. But I say cons. I say okay. Franz. So, so did were they there we last had this year? Same discussion when Hans and cons and Franz. <laughs> but I, I was thinking it's not. It's I thought it was Milos Forman. Milos? Yes. It's okay. I, I pronounce it weird. Um, it's okay. Everybody has their thing. But I was questioning. Um, were they there last year? Netflix. Were yes. They? Yep. They previewed two things there last year. Um, Mudbound. Mudbound and Ojaka. Ojaka, is that the name of it? It's the one that was about the yes. like manufactured. Uh, I mean, uh, you would think Mudbound would have. Well, this is the reaction from cons is they actually, they booed as soon as they saw the Netflix logo. And Are you kidding? That was the reception. They do yeah. that there. They boo and they hiss and, and they stomp. both of those movies were exceptional. So go figure. Okay. But we already talked about this last week. So if you're tuning in to number 10 and you skip number nine, go, go back, back to number nine. And then come and laugh at me. What else news have we got? Uh, let's see here. Jet Li is coming back to the screen again. I mean, he's been kind of absent lately. He's been kind of sick or recovering from illness. Hyperthyroidism, I think, is what he had. What's he coming back to? Mulan. Mulan. And in addition to that, 
Danny Wu from Rogue One, the blind non-Jedi Jedi in Rogue One is coming to join him. So that should be interesting. When you say non-Jedi Jedi, is that like a he, negative negative? Because there positive? are no there are no Jedi's yes. in Rogue One, but he everything he does acts like a Jedi, mm. but he's not a Jedi. Just smells like a cat. Looks like a cat is a cat. But isn't a cat. Okay. Yeah. It, you have to watch the movie. I still can't believe you haven't watched the whole thing. But uh, hey, go yeah, back, watch I will. the movie. I will. And then you'll understand when I say non-Jedi Jedi. It's on Netflix, right? Or in Amazon? Uh, I believe it's on Netflix still. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. speaking of Netflix, did we hear to talk about Jessica Jones being scored for an, a third season? We had not because that just got announced on Thursday. I beat you to say it. I'm very excited. Okay, so yeah. It's uh, out. It was a big shocker. But it, well, the more interesting part about that is um, because Disney's planning their streaming service to come out next year, um, that they're actually going to be keeping the Netflix shows. So the, the Netflix Marvel properties are going to stay on Netflix and they're Smart. not going to be going over to the Disney streaming network. Smart. So they're going to separate those out. Um, and the Jessica Jones things was more of a confirmation of that, that it's coming back to Netflix next year. I just put this on here cause I saw it. I just, I don't know why. Cause Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. I know just laugh, but it's actually going to tie in later. So Halloween 2018. Okay. <laughs> it's funny because you look at Hollywood, Halloween 2018 and you're like, how many Halloweens have there been? Oh, yeah. 2018 versions of Halloween. But she, okay, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, she returns as her original, the original girl. And she has to protect her family when Michael reappears 40 years later. So I don't know. Wasn't he? I thought he was killed. I think he's doing some zombie thing. I don't know what's going on with that. I watched like the first one and the second one and stopped watching after that. It's just. It he walks didn't. too slow for me. But is there any horror movie now that Blumhouse is not producing? Mm. Yeah. Um, what are the people that always, every, every time there's a scary movie, that's the, they are the ones that are producing it, people. It's not, it's not them. It's somebody else. Dimension. No, it's like it's like a something ca- castle. Or Is Dimension like, still around? I don't oh think God. so. Okay. That's what I thought she was referring to. Hold on. But Blumhouse has kind of cornered the market on almost everything. I mean, the one that just opened up this week is a Blumhouse, I believe. Truth or Dare. Uh, so. Okay. Um, any other news? Uh, got PlayStation Five has kind of been confirmed under the radar that um, it is out there. It does exist. Um, it will not be released until 2020, though. So, so for you gamers out there that listen, yeah, that came out on Friday, that the news of that there is actually one that exists. See, I like Xbox. I, I can go back and forth. I grew up on PlayStation, but Xbox is still has my heart. All right. I'm not sure why. All right, so that wraps up the news and going into our recommendation list. First up, we have Valerie with Sergeant Stubby. No. No? That word didn't exist in this dog's dictionary. He didn't understand the word. Nothing would get in his way. No, 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 no. I do that every time, people. (laughs) Every time I get too excited. Uh, Sergeant Stubby, an American hero. Um, we took our five-year-old to see it. Um, maybe not all five-year-olds would enjoy it. 
mine did. Uh, it's about a stray, jo- a stray dog, which is, this is actually a true story. I just want to let you know. Um, he gets adopted by a soldier while training. This is during World War I. Uh, and I'm not sure how much of the film is exactly true, but uh, it's entertaining and uh, I, I recommend it. It's PG because uh, there's some uh, war action and there are some thematic elements. They put on some gas masks for a little bit. That's a little scary, but it's not too much. And uh, it's only 85 minutes long. I recommend it. Uh, I think my daughter, who uh, my eight-year-old, would really enjoy it, just because of the historic parts of it. But it's a it's a true story. I'd go see it. It's it's cute and fun and interesting. I had to uh, look up to see what kind of dog it was, because on the the trailer it looked like it was a boxer, but it's not a boxer. I, I they they don't know. It's like a mutt. But they show you the actual yeah. picture of the dog at the end. I mean, it's fascinating that this is true. They think it's like a Boston Terrier type mix. They probably took some, a little bit, some, you know, yeah. elements to it. But very entertaining. And I thought it was um, when they pulled out and they uh, were dealing with the, uh, the maps and showing you exactly where they were going, um, showing the planes kind of dealing with the war, but in a very uh way that children could watch it. It was really beautiful. There's no blood. Um, it's nothing gory at all. So it's very watchable. Cool. So go see it. Valerie says, go see go. Sergeant Stubby. Mm-hmm. Up next, we have Tony with Thanks for Sharing. Wow. Flip phone, huh? You were carbon dating this thing? <laughs> what are you doing? Don't be so slow, Pinocchio. Would you care for a little goo? You kind of got some on your face. Did I, did I get it? Right there. Hey, Adam. Sex addict. Hey, Adam. I am grateful to be sober today. Thanks for letting me share. I'm proud to be your sponsor. There's a lot of dudes in here. My other program isn't such a sausage fest. <laughs> so I had the fortune of rewatching Thanks for Sharing. To Which the trailer misrepresents does it yes this is not a comedy people i never thought it was a comedy it, it comes off as a comedy listen to the it, music the music is very bouncy bouncy happy it's bouncy happy, happy. It, this is not a comedy i think it's really hard to sell something that's not <sighs> yeah well a, a happy upbeat but, movie this is a dark well, I can get to that in a minute. Think I can talk about that. <laughs> Go but, um, ahead and talk about it. So I saw Thanks for Sharing. It's directed by Stuart Bloomberg. He wrote the screenplay with his friend Matt Winston. And we have the Hulk, Mark Ruffalo in the film. Oh, jeez. He did other things, people. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow, Pepper Potts is playing in the film oh, too. Oh, my Lord. We have Tim Robbins in the film as well. And we have Josh Gad. And introducing, featuring Pink. In her first real like acting role. I thought she did pretty well. She did, actually. Yeah. She was very believable, had that right edginess to her. She did. Um, so the film is basically about three individuals who are attempting to maintain their sobriety with sexual addiction, which is something that even the trailer says, many people think in society that sex addiction is just an excuse to cheat on your partner or just to have lots of sex. And then when you get in trouble, you say, oh, I'm addicted. 
Uh, this film actually breaks that wall down and explains that it's just not, oh, I'm hungry for sex. It's just that sensation, that desire, which I can tie that into another film with Michael Fessenbender, who was, you know... Fassbender? Fassbender, sorry. Thank you. Um, he was in uh, X-Men. He plays the young Magneto. I have to bring people in so they know what I'm talking Why? about. But Not everybody knows what you're talking about. Are you talking about shame? Yes. Okay. I was getting there. Shame has the same subject matter, but it's a lot darker, actually. And in his film, we kind of see the difference between bouncy bounce, which value said not comedy, but thanks for sharing a little lighter fare. Still has some serious moments. Well, yeah. There's still some quirky, funny moments, but shame, on the other hand, is dark all around. And you see that Michael's character in Shame is having sex and doesn't even like the sex. It's just the sensation of doing, just the habit of doing it for him. And I think Thanks for Sharing is a good film to watch to introduce you to this addiction and to this topic in a way where it's not going to slam you in your face and make you uncomfortable. Um, I enjoyed watching Mark play a different character mm-hmm. and seeing um, Tim Robbins play something that's not in your face lead, I think him supporting. There's also Patrick Fugit, who's in the film, who was actually in Almost Famous, another one of my films. came out in 2001, 2002. Love it. Um, but it's a good film. I enjoyed it a lot. Not in a whole, I, this is a great film, but like this is a film that I can watch and, and show people and say, this is what I'm talking about. I think it's an important... It's an important film. It's an important film. It's, it's hard to watch, and I definitely would not go in this lightly. I, I just know what you're going to go in well, for. What led you to go back and uh, take a peek at it again? Well, our topic this week, and also just, you know, addictions are out there a lot. And I said, addictions are manifested mostly mentally. They start there. So I said, let me watch something. And I think the reason why people found it, the trailer being a ha-ha, because Mark's character, Adam, he's not meaning to be funny, but he uses his addiction, his elements, he bounces, he makes jokes out of everything. He, everything he, he uses covers. comedy as his way to uh, protect things. himself. Yeah. So the whole you know, the trailer to Amish thing, the whole cell phone thing, these are devices that you know we as normal people think, uh, oh, it's just a TV. Normal. Not normal. But um, okay. Without having a sex addiction, addiction. I say addictions in general, but things that we take for granted, say, oh, well, that's not that's not a big deal for people who have addictions like alcoholism or sex mm-hmm. addiction. TVs are a stumbling block, or a f- smartphone would be a stumbling block. Yeah. So even the character Neil in the film, Josh Gad's character, can't take the subway because he's tempted to grind against people. So right. these things that we all say, oh, well, why can't you take a subway? He can't because he just can't handle it. So he has to walk everywhere or bike. And I enjoyed the film for the fact that it showed the struggles that people suffering from these elements and conditions are going through. And it puts a face on it, a popular face, but a face nonetheless. And it's not, these aren't hidden anymore. So I would recommend watching it. And I recommend it too. I, I also feel like the fact that we have such big stars in it makes people want to watch it uh you know what i mean it sells the film and i think it is it is a great way to introduce you to something that that a lot we don't know about i didn't know a lot about and i learned a ton about it and i we kind of think oh it's not really real it's real people there's a lot of things that people struggle with that are real that nobody wants to actually deal with so it's a good one so a shame Shame's a good movie, too. Just darker. I would watch Thanks for Sharing first and then watch Shame after. That way you have that 
understanding because shame uh, doesn't really explain. It just shows his pain and his suffering and and hers in hers. Yeah. Oh, it's um. Give me your name. Not coming to me. I know you're talking about though. She's we'll, famous too. We'll get it. Can't think of it. Um, anyway, look it up. But two films, good. Sorry, I mixed two films in with my review, but they're kind of same topic and watch both of them. So thanks for sharing and shame. Not a same night thing, but maybe uh, (laughs) one night and then the next. Right. Um, I had the opportunity this week to watch a new documentary series on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. Everybody felt they were there at the beginning of the great experiment. Like we were the chosen people. <laughs> I'm here in one of the largest ranches in the Northwest. Today, it's Rajneesh Purim because a prominent Indian guru and his followers bought it. Our vision was to create a community based on compassion and sharing. Bhagwan's agenda was simply to raise the consciousness of humanity. That was his goal. Um... I've been really digging well-made documentaries of late, and this one um, comes out pretty much on the top right now of lately. And the fact that we're getting them through Netflix um, in such a really good format, it's a perfect format for documentaries to come out that are multi-part. And this comes out, it's six one-hour episodes. It's directed and created by Chapman and McLeanway who are the same guys that were behind another one of my favorite documentaries of late called Battered Bastards of Baseball, telling about um, one of the independent league teams in uh, Washington. And its story is taken and mostly told through 300 hours of archival footage of a group called the Raj... I'm going to screw this up. The Rajis Poram. Um, they started off in India, uh, their leader, um, who by the end of this goes by the name of Osho and they kind of interchange his name, uh, frequently. They moved into this small community in Antelope, Oregon. There was only 40 people living there and they bought this big area and started a ranch there to basically with the vision of eventually having a city of 50,000 that was independent. Um, the people of Antelope instantly dubbed them as a cult. Um, the leader of this uh, group, um, Osho, basically considered them not so much a religion um, as they were more of almost like an anti-religion type thing. But um, under the guy's lines, they were also a sex cult. So um, they kind of were very open about everything and anything, um, used various facets of different religions. What is a sex cult? A sex cult. I don't know what that means. Like open, free and open sex in this. With everybody, anybody. Everybody and everything. Wide open, always talking about it. Nothing is uh, off limits. This takes place during the, the the group started up in the late 60s and 70s. So they took off from the Vietnam War area. And by the time they came over to Oregon, it was um, right at 81 to 85 area. So this is a time in the United States history that talking about sex and being gay or being lesbian or you know having an open marriage, all this stuff was very, 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 very forbidden, especially in this very backcountry antelope town. But anyways, 
this goes through and tells the story through basically about a set of like four eyes, four different perspectives here. You've got the perspective of one of the, that was the personal secretary, Mananan Sheila. And then you have the lawyer who eventually also became the mayor of uh, Rajesh Puram. Uh, his name is Philip Tolks, um, who is very close to Osho. Uh, Mananan Sheila was the personal secretary of Osho. And then you have also the federal prosecutors that came in uh, towards the end of this. And so when this group finally lands here and they buy this big old thing and they start instantly building this community, and you know, it was supposed to be a free and open community that is a self-sustaining community. There's all these good things that were happening about it. But you have this little town of 40 people that are just like, what the heck is going on? Who are these people invading our land? Um, with all these crazy ideas and they instantly start trying to fight back against these people moving in. And it tells the story over these six episodes of all the, the stuff that's happened that took them from being this community to being basically at the end of it. Um, people that were on the run from the law because of stuff as such as in poisoning, um, money laundering, uh, illegal immigration. It just goes, there's a huge laundry list. I mean, when the federal prosecutors got involved and all the stuff that they brought along with it. But it's one of those ones that at the end of each episode, you're like, holy crap, this story just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. And they really don't touch into most of like the sex uh, stuff until probably like the second or third episode, I think. And then you're like, oh, because it was just it was a little bit different, but they kind of I'm glad they kind of saved most of that um, because they really kept you on the hook. Because this the, them landing in Oregon happened right at the tail end of the Jones County massacre. Okay, um, with that big poisoning, so that's what these people thought were bringing in. Like, oh, you have like hundreds of thousands or hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people moving in here. We're going to be having a cult in their backyard. But they never once considered themselves a cult. They are all, they're always a, a religion-esque type group that was building a community and building something. And so, you know, you got Mananan Sheila, and it's told from her perspective as she's now in Switzerland, and she just tells her side of the story. Then you have the federal prosecutors that are telling their side of the story and all the stuff that they are involved in. Uh, it's fascinating. I Really did she skip it. the country, spoiler, or did she just happen to be in Switzerland? <laughs> Everybody paid their due. Okay. By the end of this, I mean, it, you know, I don't think there's any spoilers. I mean, this is 1980s, so everything is out there. Okay. Um, the the Way Brothers did a fantastic job with this. Um, I mean, to go through 300 hours of archival footage and the fact that there was that much out there. This Rajesh Puram they always had cameras and they kind of point alluded that in um, as they're going through uh, one of the episodes is like they always had cameras pointed somewhere. And so when they went into the town, the people that were the 40 people, they were very uncomfortable because there was always a camera in somebody's face, but they documented everything. And because there was so much documentation, it fills out like this series very well because they always have something you can point to. You're not like sitting here looking at, oh, there's an image of documents go floating by or there's a picture of somebody going by. You're like, 
you're constantly seeing these people and you're hearing their conversations or an interview that they did back in the 80s and then you hear their perspective now. What are the age ranges like of these people? The people now telling the story? Or, no, know, back then, I just wonder. All ages. I mean, I'm talking about the youngest age. All ages. It was literally every age you can think of. Children? Yeah, there were children born into the community. and. Okay. Wow. You, you need to watch the series because the feeling I got as watching it before, it was a very open community. They were very like nothing was off limits in terms of like being able to talk to anything about anybody. Nobody was discriminated against. Um, they at one point ended up bringing in like all the homeless people from many, many cities. I think they brought over 6,000 homeless people, brought them into this community and they're a self-sustaining community. They, they figured out, they reworked the dams. So they had this empty valley that was basically desert is now full on, uh, stuff growing hmm. and everything. It, it was fascinating because towards the beginning, I'm on the side of them because every time they flash back sure. to the townspeople, you get the, the religious scolding of, oh, evil, 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 evil people. And I look at and a lot of comparisons today is just like, you know, I think it's kind of funny how people will instantly go to the, the evil when somebody says that they're gay or that they're lesbian or they have an open marriage that, and, you know, going into the, this, even the something with the sex edition, you know, those people were shamed. They were, they were thrown into a corner and this community became a place for those outcasts to live and to feel at home and not feel censored out. So they get you in this nice little bubble of feeling comfortable with the community. And then they just slowly shatter it over the final three episodes. And that's because what happens, what comes with when somebody has a degree of power and also part of that was a symbol of our times. You know, the eighties were, you know, the stuff, and this stuff, most of you can't talk about most of it until the last couple of years openly. And, uh, Interesting. Highly recommended. I I, I flew no through the series. I got uh, I was listening to a podcast and they had mentioned it and I'm like, oh yeah, I just I did see that go through my queue and hmm. knocked off two episodes in a day and then I just started and I finished up the last episode this morning. Hmm. Wow! And it's got a it's got an interesting resolution to it. You know, everybody they were very very independent. They really the, the directors really didn't take a side. They just kind of let everybody tell their own story and let it become what it was. So, so it's a watch it. Oh, it's definitely a watch it. Liked it a lot. Cool. So, so that is our recommendation list. We are going to take a short break and we will be right back with our stew. <laughs> Hey, for you, the listeners of the Cultural Stew podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30D trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And you should. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's true. Listen, I... How, how true is it? It's very true. Um, there's many reasons. Look, I, uh, I, I, I stay at home with my girls and... When you're walking around trying to do this and do that, um, it's just it makes the day go quicker and you are able to feel like you're learning something or you're able to (laughs) 
have conversations at parties about books and things like that when you're able to listen to them. Also, um, people have, you know, in big cities or even around here, whatever. Um, I have friends that have really long commutes, um, whether on trains, in the car or whatever. It makes everything a lot quicker. So I totally love Audible. I have been a member for almost three years. They have great customer service. They have people that are online you can talk to. Give uh, me an example of a book that you can find on there now uh, that you would recommend to somebody else. I have a lot of books that I can uh, just recommend. Just give me one. Oh my gosh. Just give me one. I'd say just one. Um, I, I would do Beartown by uh, Frederick Beckman. Beckman, sorry. Um, and he, there's a narration by Marin Marin, Ireland. She does a wonderful job and it's beautifully written. I could go on for a long time, so I know you're strict with one, but... Yeah, if you don't like the book, you can return it, and um, they are really good about that. And you get, um, yeah, you get your your free book, your free credit. Yep, you get one free credit. You get thirty day trial. They also have these daily deals. Every single day they change. It's a daily deal. You get a book that could be thirty bucks, twenty four bucks, whatever, and it's you know two bucks or three ninety five. So I check those out every day. So if somebody wanted to go download a book, where could they go? Audible.com. And then you're going to say the last part. Close. Lo siento. AudibleTrial.com. AudibleTrial.com. AudibleTrial.com slash cultural stew. (laughs) So where? AudibleTrial.com slash cultural stew. For your free audiobook. That's your free credit and your 30-day trial. Go on. Go check it out. We'll have more recommendations from them coming up next week. And welcome back. Today we have a stew that is how film depicts mental illness. Is it helping with the stigma, Valerie? No. Um, okay, moving on. <laughs> okay, some do, some don't. Stigma, the stigmatization of uh, people with mental disorders through film, through history, has uh, typically been bad. Um, we deal with a lot of horror movies, for instance, even Hitchcock dealing with uh, Psycho. Psycho. Um, all the horror movies have people that have that that are mentally ill and are going out slashing people up. And yeah, um, the homicidal maniacs, the people that come over across is so bizarre that you can't even be around them. <sighs> So there are a few movies that um, people really enjoy that did really well that still I feel didn't do the best job of like let's talk about it. A Beautiful Mind. Let's go there. So A Beautiful Mind won four Academy Awards and uh, Russell Crowe's in it and he has a serious mental illness where he sees, well, he sees solution. Who? Yeah, schizophrenia. Right. Um, he's Don seeing Hedge. him. 
Yeah, John Nash. I'm just saying that he is seeing Charles. Is it Charles? Romain, is his, yes. Is Romain? Yes. I from from what I have researched and known, you normally don't see. Okay. Um, here, but may, am I wrong? Well, I, I I agree that most schizophrenic um, hallucinations are auditory, but I'm going to go backwards here. Um, the writer of A Beautiful Mind, Akiva Goldsman, um, has a family member who was suffering from schizophrenia, and he was battling this the whole time. But he also realized, too, that film is a visual medium, mm-hmm. which means that you need to show people. You can't just have him hearing things. So if you look very closely in the film um, or listen, uh, you realize that every time Nash has a hallucination, we as audience and John hears it first, his ears perk. So you hear Charles. When Charles is first introduced to John, his roommate, you hear the particle roommate returns. You hear Paul Bellamy's voice first, and then we pan over and see him stark naked and doing his thing and cooling around. So that was Akiva's compromise, was we heard it and then we saw. But the audience is not... They don't know that, though. They're not knowing that, and, and they use it as a plot twist. Yeah, and also my thing is I pay attention a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot during movies. So the birds not moving and certain things kind of were tells to me. Like I noticed that when John was doing his thing through his bike that the birds never moved and certain elements never changed like his um, roommate's niece never grew up. I mean I coming from the background I come from where I notice these things because I'm aware most audiences are not that in tune. They're just enjoying it for the ride that it is. And So I see your point but knowing the writer's choices and understanding where he came from he had to show the hallucinations. He had to... What do you think the point was for the plot twist at the end? Can you explain what you mean in case the audience doesn't know? That the fact that throughout, we don't really realize that Charles isn't real. I mean, for the most part, most of the audience does not know that the, Charles isn't real. Just that, like in Fight well, Club. That, that to me is because that's the filmmaker's decision to try to put us into Nash's shoes. Right. Because Nash didn't realize he's not real. Rash, he lived with him thinking that he was a real person. And trying to give the viewers that sense of like, oh, this person that you thought was there the whole time really isn't. So you think that's what Fight Club was about as well? Yes. To I agree, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, I think one of the hardest one of the hardest things in mental illness is to try to take you can be an independent viewer, you can put somebody on the outside and and make a really realistic film of how somebody's, you know, our film today is a perfect example of that of looking on the outside and not really getting too far into somebody's head and putting the audience into that perspective of like what is it actually like to live with it versus being on the outside and seeing somebody live with it. Right. Um, I think A Beautiful Mind was the example of this is kind of what it feels like. One, you think something's real and it's not. Um, Same with Fight Club, like you you mentioned. It's that same like you're thinking the whole time that it's there. And yeah, it's a filmatic device because at the end it is a visual thing and you you don't want to have to spoil it within the first 15 minutes. You want to bring the audience along. And what's the easiest way to do that? Fool them. Well, there's two and what does mental illness do? It breaks your reality. 
There are Good point. two scenes in Beautiful Mind that I actually enjoy. Not in the whole, again, I'm going to explain, not enjoy like, haha, it's amusing, but enjoy because it stuck to me. The scene when Nash is running around the courtyard and being taunted by the agent, Ed Harris's character. He's running around in a circle, running, getting away from this agent guy who's yelling at him and barking at him. And to us, it looks real. But Hanson, his coworker, comes running out and sees Nash just spiraling out of control and just smoking and frantic running around and the crowd's watching this guy. So we see the agent barking at him, but then we step back and see Hanson coming to the rescue to save him, his friend, and see Nash is by himself and he's being tormented by this voice. And we don't see the voice or hear the voice, but we saw the agent chasing him. So Hanson comes to save him and he stops and says, look, you're okay, you're fine. The second scene is when the Nobel Committee comes to the school to say, are you really John Nash? Can you handle things? And Nash takes a student aside and says, is he real? Is he really here? So that to me was us understanding even more that he's trying to do better. He's trying to, you know, ignore the aberrations or the hallucinations that he's seeing or he has seen. Because he said in movie two, they're there. I ignore them. So I, and he didn't say about seeing them. He said, they're still there, but... I don't have to appetize them. I don't have to eat them or enjoy them. I don't have to entertain their, them. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I think the whole film, he's trying to, he's such a genius. His brain is so sharp that he's trying to separate reality from non-reality. And that scene alone, the, is this guy here who's here for the Nobel Committee, is this a real thing? Is this guy real? Is he genuine? And that for me, those two films, those two scenes in the film carried more weight for me. So it's interesting. So we have uh, two films of many, uh, the deal with giving the audience maybe an, an idea of what it's like to understand the fact that we that they don't understand that the, that they're not real, right? Um, and then um, we have movies or shows that deal with people um, having to deal with someone who's schizophrenic or. Uh, and how that comes across and how they're ha- having to deal with it. And um, this is an old show, people. But I think uh, ER with Sally Field, uh, she plays uh, Abby's mother. And uh, I have a friend who has a mother who's schizophrenic. And she said that that show was uh, Sally Field's character was the first person, that first character that really, really showed who like who, who her mother was and so i thought that was fascinating so uh if you want to go back and i'm sorry you're sorry for what it's a uh, part of the disease oh <laughs> oh yes we're going to now apologize for your diseased mother are we are we <laughs> she's always misbehaving you know abby never wanted me around her friends she was always ashamed stop it Mom. ashamed and embarrassed you think no, i don't know that sit i know that you would walk hand, right by me and right? pretend you didn't know me you'd, you'd pretend i didn't even exist you'd pretend i didn't i didn't exist you didn't know don't you sass me i'm your mother it's 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 painful for both sides. It's hard. Um, we also have, I mean, there's so many things that we can deal with right now. Um, I was looking at the films and how they were, how they were dealing with certain things that were wrong. 
Um, we talk about bipolar disorder. Um, and we didn't watch this one. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Touched by Fire. This is, has Katie Holmes in it, actually. Uh, it's, it's a newer movie that came out. Is that uh, with um, Justin Kirk or am I, is that, I think, not Justin Kirk. There's someone I may. I don't know. Justin Kirk was Angels in America. Is he, not Justin Kirk, Lee, uh, I think Luke it's Kirby, Kirby something. Luke, I think you're right. Luke Kirby was in um, uh, Take This Waltz with uh, Sarah Polly's film in Toronto. That had some mental illness in it too, addictions in it, but continue, sorry. No, no, it's fine. Um, bipolar, a lot of people, especially young people, um, are they're going through something and they go see a doctor and a lot of people are misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. It's prevalent. Um, I was even... I was even said that I was bipolar when I was in college. Uh, I took a 700 like question test and uh, the end of it, they said, Oh, you're bipolar. So um, when you're not and you're put on bipolar medicine, messes with you. Um, I, I can't even ex- express to you. So it's something that has to be, it's to look, be looked into. Um, and the people that are dealing with loved ones that have bipolar and um, the ups and the downs. And the thing is that a lot of creative people are bipolar and they create and they're fun and they're, they really are like magnetic people to be around. And then they crash and you can't do anything about it. Um, it's hard to watch. And unless they are medicated, you go through this up and down thing for years. I've I've always thought it. Um, you know, when you go to the the amusement park and you have the was it the dragon's boat where it goes up and you have that feeling of okay. weightless, weightlessness, mm-hmm. and then it comes down really hard, and you just have, to have that sinking feeling. Um, I don't talk a lot about mental illness. Um, but, you know, I, I have a, a feeling that everybody's got a seed of mental illness in them. It's whether how much we feed into that and um, depends on how much it grows. But um, some of us have it at a, a larger level early on in life than others. And some of us just have found a way to live with what we, we have. Um, and I, I felt like that at times in my life. I don't know whether it, it would be considered bipolar, but I, you know, I have those major ups and majors downs that happen very quickly. Um, but I watched several people around me go through many different forms of it. Um, but I haven't the the major illnesses like schizophrenia. I haven't I haven't seen that, so that's why like when I see it in film, it's a little bit hard for me to say, yeah, that's the way it's depicted, kind okay. of thing. Um, but I you know I've watched people go through drug abuse uh, kind of thing, and that is a form of mental I'm not gonna talk so yeah continue um the one thing about um females and bipolar disorder um I was doing a screenplay dramaturgy research um kind of project, 
for a film that I thought would be interesting to write, and it still is interesting to write. I just need to do more research. But I found that a lot of females are diagnosed with bipolar disorder when they really have autism. And that's because doctors still are looking at the criteria for males for diagnosing females when the male and females are totally different. They're different genders for a reason, but they're using the criteria for males for autism when it should be separate because women, their brains are different. Like Bipolar disorder? Yeah, a lot of women are diagnosed with bipolar disorder instead of autism because doctors are using the criteria for males. Females in general are more social and more apt to emulate what they see and copy and mimic versus boys. Huh. So... Girls can easily adapt or descript what they see and pass, fine. But there are other things that, like, oh, the drawing or the coloring or the obsession with baby dolls and things like that. Oh, there are girls, okay, but over time, though, they, they'll grow out of it, but that's not true. Some girls are, I call it stuck, but it's not stuck, but they're attached to certain things or elements. Like, boys are fascinated by cars and things like that or certain things, hobbies that are masculine. But if a female did it, I guess that would send a red flag. But again, girls copy, mimic what they see, so they're not easily diagnosable. Hmm. So I know a lot of females who are in their 40s who now have been diagnosed with Asperger's or mild autism. And they feel so much better now because they're getting the right medication and the right therapy to help them. So um, my experience with that, uh, which gets rather personal, but I'm, you know, I'm fine with it, is that I was diagnosed with bipolar when I was in college and nobody questioned it, including myself, because I had no idea. Um, so I took bipolar medicine for years and it did not help. Um, and I went through a lot more. Uh, unfortunately, um, you have to get a good doctor. You have to get a good psychiatrist. You have to get somebody who's going to get you good medicine or somebody who's going to pay attention to you. Unfortunately, um, I did not. So when I was in Chicago, I just kept getting added. So I had a cocktail of uh, bipolar medicine that about drew me over the edge. Um, so when I, I stopped all medicine so I could have kids, but when I, um, when I moved here and then I started feeling some of the feelings that I was having then, uh, I went to the doctor and she said, I don't want to know anything about your past. I just want you to talk to me. So she spent three hour long, um, sessions and she said, you know, you know, this happens all the time. Um, but you've never been bipolar. Um, you have ADHD, you have adult ADHD and, when she described all of the different things and I kept thinking, I don't have ADHD because I don't squirm around. I'm not jumping all over the place, but my brain does. And everybody's saying, oh, it's because you're a mom. It's because you're busy. It's because this, that, you know, and they you got say mom brain, mom brain. And they're like, oh, you know, and she said, um, you can try Adderall. If it doesn't work, you don't have to be medicated. You can see how it is. Um, and they always say, oh, Adderall is a, <laughs> Again, we have it as a uh, a soccer mom drug. Mm-hmm. It's you get a lot done and uh, you get skinny and you do this and you do that. It's like uh, speed. Um, that's not how it worked for me. I had uh, rage. I had a lot of uh, anger. I was very irritated, very irritable, very up and down, very overwhelmed. 
could not I, the thought of doing anything was so overwhelming to me like going out with my baby to do anything um and i blew up at zoe not in a physical way but when she was little and after that i thought there's something wrong with me like there's that's not that's not me so um yes i went and i tried it i tried it and i'm for me personally um it was like everything became manageable the patience i have with my children is infinite i do not have that irritability i'm able to think of going to the beach or going to do this do that as something that i can completely do it's not a problem at all when before it was i could not even think of doing that so um for me it worked it's not for everyone i realize that um but i think that it's hard for me to tell <laughs> i'm i mean i'm podcast but i didn't want to tell anybody because a lot of people don't even believe in adhd especially adult adhd i i mean what i've what i've seen mainly looking from the outside is our it, it's a very big stigma in our society to even talk about mental illness we were a society for that many years we just when somebody had something majorly wrong with them, we threw them in an institution and left them there. You know, very little actually cuckoo's fixing. Nest. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite films, One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest, uh, shows kind of those effects of, you know, people that, you know, broad ranges and little simple things could have fixed them. And what they did to them. And we slowly progressed to a a nation of, uh, let's give everybody drugs and let's give them all the same prognosis. So right. you, know, you you went through your the bipolar uh, diagnosis and that was right at probably at the same time when I started noticing all my friends in high school and junior high were getting like they're either diagnosed as bipolar or ADHD and everybody had some sort of the Ritalin or Adderall and it was like it was everywhere and but still it we never got to the point where like openly talking about it and actually confronting it was actually helping. Um, and now we're starting to get to the point in our society where we are and we have a, and here we go political again. We have a president who wants to open up all the institutions again and start throwing people back in institutions. Um, because so, yeah. you know what it boils down <laughs> to is, you know, you have somebody struggling or you have somebody not having a good day. You might think it's just somebody being a bitch or just being a jerk or they just want to be sad and mopey. You know, maybe that person just needs somebody to talk to, you know, and whether that conversation leads to them, you pushing them or helping them see that maybe they need to actually talk to somebody on a professional level um, so that if it is something that needs to get diagnosed, can get diagnosed. But, you know, sometimes it's just the ability to talk to somebody, I to talk out loud to somebody else. I personally think everybody should be in therapy. Uh, it's hard to be alive. It's hard to go through life. And um, I think going to see somebody who has studied it is helpful. I think that um, another movie that um, I'm going to talk about that did it right, as far as I'm concerned, was Inside Out. Um Inside Out wasn't just for kids when I went to see it. I thought, holy cow, have you guys seen it? Yep. I have, yes. 
Um, so Inside Out is about an 11 year old girl, Riley. Um, and she moves from Minnesota to San Francisco with her parents and it, it she struggles with it. Um, and it deals with the primary emotions and they, it gives them characters. So we have happiness with joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. Um, they, that they're in their head and they're going through. Um, it's, it's kind of showing how each one of them work in her head. Um, when it gets to the point where she is getting depressed and um, the joy, all of these memories that she has of the things that make her happy start fading, that's when it, I sat there and thought, that's, uh, that's pretty real, uh, especially for me. Um, I, I, I'm just like a, you know, bag full of fun stuff, but so, uh, dealing with depression for me is, um, when I went through it, I, I haven't gone through it for a long time, but it was hopelessness. It was absolutely hopeless and there was nothing you could think of that could make you happy and you forget these things and to have this little girl go through this in fact uh it's hard for some children to watch zoe can't watch that as soon as she starts getting sad she's done with the movie um but i feel like inside out i don't know how you feel about it if you feel like it's something that is positive for children to watch so that they can kind of understand their emotions or do you feel like they don't portray them well or anyone? Well, honestly, I think Marnie, when she's old enough, will watch the film because it does, in a cartoon form, animated form, introduce feelings. And I try to explain to Marnie, this is anger, this is sadness, this is being happy. And she always says, I'm happy, which I think she really is when she says it, but I'm trying to encourage her to verbalize how she feels, Mm -hmm. even though she's two, and still learning words and expressions. Rather than stomp and tantrum, like, I see that you're angry or upset. Right. So, and also movies in general can be an example of showing this is what anger looks like. This is what rage looks like. So, in a way, I think in, in, Inside Out, they spent a lot of time working on it and researching it and making it right that this would be a good introduction film to show young people. These are our feelings. And this is how we can manifest them. And the right way and the wrong way. And honestly, yes. as an adult. Yeah, that too. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, as an adult, I, I, d- I really I just, related. I just don't think, you know, I think we we need to have more open and honest relationships. You right. know, stop. I agree. Stop closing the doors, stop hiding behind things, and stop putting a stigma on things to saying that, oh, you can't talk about that out loud. We don't want to talk about that. And avoiding those conversations. Those conversations are hard, but they're conversations that need to be done. Um, so we're going to roll into our movie of the week. Um, but some other movies that are on here that you can go check out, um, that we sort of recommend, uh, like, uh, we've talked about, thank you for sharing in a beautiful mind and shame. And, um, also silver linings, playbook, uh, fight club, girl interrupted the Fisher King. One flew over his cuckoo's nest and the other temple Grandin watched, watched Temple Grandin. That was the HBO one with. Mm-hmm. Claire Danes. Yeah, Claire Danes. It's fantastic. Ordinary people. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. These yeah. are things that. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, you, you can sit here and talk about these movies all day, but we don't have all that time. 
Um, the movie we chose to talk about <laughs> was I Smile Back. And I'm going to go into it. Yeah. You're gonna you want to play, play, let's play, play, let's play okay. the clip? Why did you start hating me, Lane? I don't hate you, Bruce. Then why did you stop taking your meds? They were making me fat. So you'd rather be insane? You promised me you'd take your medication. If not for me, then for the kids. They're going to start to notice. So the one thing about this movie, um, it is difficult to watch. Um, and I personally feel like Sarah R. Silverman did a phenomenal job. I, I can't believe she wasn't nominated for anything for this movie. Um, she uses um, alcohol, uh, Coke. She uses, uh, I'm not sure exactly what pills she's popping, but she, um, a lot of people feel like this movie is about addiction, which it is, but I feel that the addiction, um, she uses these things in order to cope with her uh, mental illness. And there are only... um, little clues about the fact that she has mental so this this is why I picked this clip is because he says you know you promised that you would take it uh, there's a scene where she's in her um, bathroom and she picks up the medication looks at it and puts it back and doesn't take it um, who knows why but um she ends up going to a downward spiral um, and goes into – actually, she goes into a facility for addiction. She does, yes. Um, so she when, when she's with her, um, I guess, a counselor, one of the things that he says, which resonated with me, which I thought was – I don't know. I loved it, um, was – he says everything is beautiful every moment of beauty it goes away it fades but then there's another one and another one and another one and you just have to be alive to see it so um it, it is hard again but for somebody who's uh who's mental illness now the director purposely didn't um say what the mental illness was. She didn't want to clarify because she didn't want people to say like, oh my gosh, she's not bipolar. She's acting this way. She's not this. She's not, you know, depressed. She's not this. She could be many things. Yeah. And like, and like I alluded to earlier, it was very much a, you're on the outside looking at this person going through this. You're not getting put into her shoes. You're really just seeing it and observing what's happening. And that's how I felt the whole, the whole film is like I never, you never really got that moment where you're like, okay, what is her purpose and reasoning behind like what's going through her head as to why she's doing this? It's more of like, yep. And it's hard. And it's really, it, it came, you know, yeah, her, her husband seemed a little bit distanced from it at the beginning. But when you look back at it, it's like, uh, who was that? Josh Charles yes. uh-huh. was the, the husband. He was making his efforts to try to 
you know, like you need to make sure you're, you're taking the medicine. Why aren't you taking the medicine? And then at the end, just like, you know, why, you know, you know, you, you're lying straight to my face. You know, you've told one lie, then you told another lie to cover up the other lie instead of actually dealing with the thing. And it's like, there's definitely a break there. And it's like, how do you, how do you reel that in? There are clues there are the moment she's on the bed. Um, where she's talking about he wants to get a dog for the kids and she doesn't want to get a dog. And he's asking her why. Because she doesn't want the dog to die. The dog's going to die. It's going to hurt our children. You know, I don't want them to go through that. And then he kind of says something like, well, then why are you with me? I'm going to die too. And then she just spirals. You're right. Why, what is the point of living? What is the point of any of this? And she just goes into this whole thing. I mean, she's, she's spiraling down. She's in a dark place. This is, this is not somebody who doesn't have a mental illness. I mean, she is not, I mean, she's bleak. She's seeing, that's hopelessness. Well, there's a writer who I, Tom Green, I think his name is. He's a popular young adult writer. He has depression. He's talked about it on YouTube a couple of times. And he calls those spirals, like his inner thoughts. And he said at one point that it's not sometimes he does his best to have a good day. But at any given moment in the day, he can have those spiral thoughts. And I have them too, where you're just thinking about all the bad stuff or all the things that you have to do. And it just gets overwhelming to you. Even simple things like waking up, you're like, uh, okay. Or I have to do A, B, C, D, E. And in between all those letters, you have your other moments. And it's just that you question everything. You wonder why you're doing everything you're doing. It doesn't matter. And you touched on that briefly when she says, why do you even, why are we even live? Why are we together? And one thing, I have a little pet peeve when people in movies, especially, and even in real life, say, you promised you would take your medicine. Yeah. And that bugs me because there are so many factors, like you said, why one doesn't take their medicine. It could be how it makes them feel on the inside or outside. Mm-hmm. Or it's that compulsion of just not wanting to. But it's not like disobedience out of spite. It's just because I don't like how it makes me feel. I don't like how it affects my perception or my brain. And A lot of bipolar people uh, feel like if they take their medicine, it's going to take their creativity away. It's going right. to take that happiness away. It's going to take that feeling away. And that's hard, especially when they're used to it. Um, so they don't take it. and But they hit their lows. So um, the ADHD medicine, they always talk about um, they don't take it or they forget. Here's the thing about ADHD. I've been taking it for three years and every day. I forget. I have ADHD and I forget to take my medicine. I have uh, an alarm on my phone. I just, I forget. And then all at once I feel this thing. I'm, oh, right. Okay. I get what it is. But there are so many reasons why people don't take their medicine. Um, and it's hard for people to understand. But you're right. A lot of it is how they make them feel. Um I'll just say a, a, a close person to me doesn't like taking her antidepressants because it makes her feel numb and it makes her feel like she can't cry and she can't feel those feelings and she misses having the little ups and downs or, or feeling like she can cry. 
because it kind of evens you out to the point where you're not having highs or lows. That's really hard. I find it interesting with the film because you, <clears throat> you're just kind of dropped into this family. And, you know, we talk about the, the pills and not taking your pills, but it's like how many times have they had these crashes? How, how, how many times before this have they had the rock bottom moments? Right. Um, one of the, the parts of the film that really resonated with me, because um, when I was in a dark place when I was younger, uh, it's very easy to let your mind wander to those dark places very quickly, especially when you're young. Yeah. And the when she leaves the bathroom after and gets in the car and is just driving down the street, and you just hear the engine slowly starting to get faster and faster and faster, and then she looks up and looks at the light closes her eye and takes her hands off the wheel. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sort of been there. You know, I, I've been to the point where like, oh, you know, it'd be really hard just to turn, it would be really easy to turn the wheel into an oncoming car or into a tree and just let the darkness in and soak it up and be what it is. And that moment, like all the music, everything just stops and you just hear like the sound, everything go back. It's like it all came. But... Yeah. I think the it touches on a lot of things, especially when she's sitting there and when she realizes that her son is taking on some, um, like he's blinking a lot or he's tapping his foot or he's doing some things that they feel like um, are anxiety-driven and she feels responsible. She feels like, oh, it's me. You know, it's my blood. I'm giving it to him. And when he's at his recital and he's sitting there and he's, she's just, you know, you can tell she's in pain waiting for him to be able to be able to play his recital. And he does beautifully well. And she comes in and hugs him. And talks about how proud she is. And then she said, I don't deserve to be your mother. The fact that you do have these uh, things that are passed down. A lot of them are passed down through the generations. And in my case, uh, they are too. Um, It's terrifying to start seeing something in your child that you're like that you recognize, so. Um, but I think the important part is you recognize it. True, and, and you and know if how you can to... recognize it, you can help somebody deal with it, and instead of letting them go through their life doing it on their own and not knowing how to fix it, which I, I don't mean to interrupt you there, no, no, no. but it's like that's what she felt like she did. You know, her father, she didn't know that her grandmother mm-hmm. had these issues. It was hereditary. To her, and she went through her whole life from nine years old onward trying to figure that out by herself. You're in the position where you know what it's like. You can now help them when they start. I will say that um, the Temple Grandin, the cow hugger, (laughs) um, I will say that uh, in my experience, when uh, one of my children goes through something that's – especially anxiety-driven. Even today it happened. It is the close hug, the holding, and it is the squeeze. It's kind of like this, I don't know what it is. It's uh, 
calming to them. And um, that has helped me a great deal. Just the just the little um, knowing of that feeling. There's something about the um, talking aspect of it. But nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. I don't really talk about it. I don't. You know, we all have meds. Um, not we all. I met the people that struggle with this stuff. Um, not everybody takes meds for it, and that's fine too. I do because I have children and I want to be a better mother and I wasn't. So I think about it and my girlfriends that struggle with it, we don't want to take meds. It's hard. You just don't. And all we think about is you want to be the best possible person that you can be. And if these medications help the chemicals in your brain, then you take them. She did not. The movie ends up very bleak. Uh, she goes through. Uh, she hits. <laughs> yeah, I'm, my my reckon, my recommendation on this movie is um, if you want to see a good depiction of what somebody looks like going through this, go ahead and watch it. But if you're in a dark place, as is, don't don't watch it. Um, but it's yeah. it's a good depiction. It's of a good instructional film. What would her life would have been like had she taken her meds? We saw it for a little bit. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's what happens a lot. You can lose your life. Uh, I mean, she lost her family basically because of it. And she she alluded to a lot of it, you know, when that first visit with a doctor was like, oh, daddy issues. You want to talk about daddy issues? I lost my dad at nine. There. End of story. He didn't call me. You know, and it was a lot more deep-rooted because when did she break again when she saw her father? Um, she was okay, and then she saw her father and she broke. And in the car, by the way, that is anxiety. She's sitting in the car, and she's <sighs> like you can hear her chest. Been there. Um, that's anxiety. That was her anxiety attack. I was thinking, holy crap, she's going to have an anxiety attack, and that's what she did. Bam. She's going to take over, and she's going to do something else. It's going to take her mind off it. Unfortunately, it was not a good thing. But um, there's so many people that deal with anxiety that can't even bring it up to their husbands, that can't bring it up to their friends because it's hard, and it's weird, and you feel like out of control, and you don't really know what's going on, and... I think that um, I wish that people did talk about it more. I wish that when somebody said they had anxiety about something, people didn't look at them like, oh, you can't handle it. Because when you feel like you're not doing the lunches perfect and uh, you forgot that it was the day they're supposed to wear a green shirt, the day they're supposed to be a superhero, and you forget, you feel. I mean, it's like this huge, overwhelming feeling. Trying to be perfect in everything, in your job, you know, I'm sure that you probably went nuts over, you said, even watching your films, all you saw were the mistakes. Mm -hmm. Anthony, any final thoughts on the film? Well, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I'm just kind of silent at the moment right now because, I mean, I... Very silent. (laughs) Well, well, honestly, I go through a lot. I don't talk about it a lot, but there's a lot of... sessions with Tony Carter. Things I... There's a lot of things I... uh, deal with personally that uh 
how can I say? Um, I wouldn't say it's like mania. I guess it's just my brain's always scattered, always thinking about everything. My brain absorbs everything, even though I don't want it to. So I can be at work and I can be not even looking at something, but I still hear everything going on down the hall with the door open. Mm-hmm. And I'm not meaning to tune that, but then an hour later, I'll know exactly what that kid was talking about or that staff was saying. saying. Or I get tested at work sometimes where um, staff will have things on tables and whatnot. And I'll purposely have it laying out. And I'll leave the room and end the day. Someone say, oh, well, I have a paper in my desk. And, I, and they'll mention it. So you mean this, this, and this, and this, and that. And it's in this corner of your desk. It's right there. And I know exactly where it was. I know exactly what was written on it. And it's not like I'm zeroing in on it. It's just my brain takes a mental picture of everything. And it scares a lot of people. It scares me. And I, it, Why? Because it's kind of freakish, people say. But... It's like I don't want to remember. I I want to save my brain for things that are important. But, but you, I have a creative brain. That's part that's of it. That's true, but it backfires then because someone will have something on their desk, and I'll know exactly what it is that they wrote on that piece of paper, and I can just spit it out verbatim. Say, you don't need to go back. You wrote this, this, and this on that piece of paper. I would love for you to just come over to my house. So, <laughs> can you come over to my house? Just tell me where my shit is. We'll be in the middle of a meeting, and they'll say, "Well, I had to go get the papers." No, you don't. You said this, 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 or you said this two days ago, or last year, you said that. So. My brain's always taking things in, and I can't spit them out. And when I'm writing, that's my way of releasing things. But my wife has said before, you can read things. When you read things, you do it differently. You are processing things. Your brain is inputting. It's not able to expel things out. So I'm in the process of right now of learning how to read for enjoyment and not mm. memorize everything I read on the page where I have like over 10,000 books in my head right now that I read over the years that I can't get out of my head. That I can just, I don't have to read a book anymore. I can just sit in my sleep and it's like I'm reading it, but I'm hearing it in my own voice, the whole book. So, and that drives me crazy. I understand. I mean, so, I, I mean, I can see where that would. Did you read this before? Yes. And how did it come across as a book? The book's a little more intense. Okay. It leaves you, it sits in you more. So. so would you say watch it? I would say watch it. Just the book is a good book, but I would just... I, I I would agree with Ron. I, w- I would say watch it. Um, it is not for everybody. There are some sequences that are extremely hard to watch. Um, but Sarah Silverman does a phenomenal job, and uh, I think it's a good way of uh, seeing where your life could go. Well, uh, quick segue, sorry. Um, if you want to see Sarah, Sarah do something similar to this, but a little low-key, there's a film called Take This Waltz, which is before this film. Sarah Polly is one of my favorite directors, too. I only have two, Alexander Payne and Sarah Polly. But um, Sarah does a film, and Margot's best friend, who happens to be a sister-in-law, is Sarah Silverman's character. And she's addicted to alcohol. And there's a point in the film where Margot's character leaves her husband, and Sarah slides a little bit. And Margot's blaming herself for her friend's slide. He says, no, it's not your fault. It's me. This has been me the whole time. So don't worry about me. Don't worry about what I've done. It's not your fault. So I think a lot of people blame themselves for their f- family or friends, their illnesses or their diagnoses, and yeah. it's not their fault. It's We're not saying it's all me, but we have to own some of our behaviors too. Absolutely. And that's all I have to say about that. I also just, I just want to say that, <laughs> sorry, one more thing. Um, I'm an overshare anyway. Um, but I just... 
You know what, people? Uh, if you're going through a hard time and you have somebody to talk to and you're worried about it, I understand. But uh, the best thing that we're going to do as, as human beings is, is talk through things um, and talk through and making sure that the stigma, that we get rid of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of everybody being afraid of being able to talk about what they're going through because everybody's going through something. And the more you talk about it, what I have found is that there are more people that are like, oh, my gosh, I go through that too. Oh, my God. You know, you feel less alone the more you talk about it. So talk. Awesome. Well, <laughs> that wraps up our stew today. <laughs> stew in the movie. Um, good picks. Good talks. Next. Deep, sorry. Deep thoughts with with somebody. Uh, so next week's topic rolls to me, and I'm going to mix it up a little bit here. Get it lighter. Something I'm calling Director Roulette Series. I'm going to pick a director each time it's my time, unless there's a topic I want to discuss instead. And we are going to pick out one of our favorite movies of theirs and also one of their movies that we haven't seen. And then we're all going to come back and kind of discuss them. So we'll be discussing more than one movie uh, on next week's show, but we'll be discussing a specific director, and that will be Quentin Tarantino. Hmm. Hmm. I get an eyebrow and a huh. <laughs> no, I, I, I like him. I, he's very, uh, what's the word? Talented? Nope. Well, talented. <laughs> Not, yes, talented. Versatile. You either love him or hate him. Right. Oh, polarizing. Yeah. Polarizing. Yes. But I think Bipolar, polarizing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That works. So um, this should lead to a, an interesting. That'd be cool. Some really good films of his that I've really enjoyed and a couple that I could do without. But hey gives us something different to talk about so uh a couple new little segments here before we wrap up kids corner valerie anything uh of interest out there <laughs> kids corner so um just for little things to watch um there is there are actually two things on amazon that i recommend highly um i do have a five-year-old and eight-year-old so it's more around there around the eight-year-old but um gordon Gibbons. I would look up on Amazon, Gordiber Gibbons. It's just kind of a strange little name, but look him up. And then Dangerous Book for Boys. It just came out. And, yeah, it's Dangerous Book for Boys, but my girls love it. So uh, We've been digging through a series of Unfortunate Events Season 2 on Netflix. That's hard for – I mean, it was hard for Zoe to watch. That was kind of disturbing for her. But some kids love it. Yeah, it was supposed to be, I think when it came out, it was supposed to be the alternative crowd to those that were Harry Potter fans because they both, I think they both came out around the same time, the push. But they're very different. They're not the same. Exactly. That that was the point. It was for the non-Harry Potter ah. type crowd. But I may be off on that, but that no. was something I remember picking up from a podcast I was listening to. One of the co-host was talking about her love of the series of unfortunate events but i really enjoy the series because it's kind of quirky it is and it's got um the dude that played the tick and gronk what paul warburton yes patrick, patrick warburton, warburton. Patrick, sorry. One of, he's got a fantastic voice you'll know who he is have you ever seen emperor's new groove <laughs> no <gasps> what 
A what? Emperor's New Groove. It's funny. And no. Eartha Kitt's in it. Where he turns into a llama? Never. Oh, my I've never even goodness. heard of this. Is it a movie? Yes. Yes. You need to watch. It's on Netflix right now. Okay. Emperor's New Groove. Watch with the girls. It's got, uh, is I've, it? I've heard John of it. John Goodman? Yes. John Goodman and a comedian. David Spade. David Spade plays the prince. And Patrick Warburton plays a character called Gronk. I'm sure my niece is, is the yeah. <laughs> um, the evil. He's I'm, I'm going to put in quotes evil because he's not very evil, but he's the henchman to the evil the uh, lady. And it's just oh, it's, a, it's hilarious. Fun. It's one of my favorite Disney movies. How have you not seen The Emperor's New Groove? Watch it with the girls. It's this, funny. This saddens me. Okay, I'm sorry, Kendra. I know you probably have seen it. No touchy. She's my niece. She turned 23 today. Happy birthday. Um, so that would probably be in her wheelhouse then if she just turned 24? 23. 23. Oh, that she, would probably be in her wheelhouse for kidding? when she, she was a kid too. Everything. Um, I'm going to go uh, next to my score of the week. Uh was listening to Cinematic Sound Radio on uh, my run yesterday, and one of the soundtracks that came up was the new Lost in Space soundtrack, um, the Lost in Space that just came up on Netflix. That's my um, cue. Came up on Friday. Oh. Um, the soundtrack is by Christopher Lennertz and the instructions he was given in producing the score was to give it that old classic cinema, 60s, 70s, big brassy cool. score. Keep the John Williams thematic cause John Williams did the original lost in space theme and to work that in there. That was the, all the instructions the guy was given and it is a fantastic score. I have been listening to it since then. It's just every cue that comes up, I'm like, ooh, this is good. Ooh, this is good. Cool. And on a side note, I've heard great things about Lost in Space. I got 10 minutes in, but I had other things I had to finish watching. And I that's high on my cue of things to finish this week. I really like the score of the week because my sister is all about scores. Well, I have a lot of them coming up. So now it, it is the season for scores to be released. Going that's awesome. Into cool. Um, book of the week. Book of the week. I am choosing Rules of Civility by Amar Tolls. And I, I feel like I've said this before. Did I talk about Rules of Civility before? If I have, it's because there's a reason. Um, he's known, uh, the author for A Gentleman in Moscow, which is extremely popular. Um, Rules of Civility was a friend. Uh, my friend Leslie, um, said, read it. It's, gorgeous it's beautifully written the words are it's 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 a beautiful book i really like it. it's very different than uh, a gentleman in moscow but it takes place in new york city during the 20s and uh you'll have a great time just just the language he uses so enjoy did you have a i think you mentioned you had a book didn't you I have Scarborough by Catherine Hernandez. You finally got that one? I finally got it from Canada. Um, Those Canucks holding on to your book. They do. But uh, it's called Scarborough, the place outside of Toronto. And she wrote it about last year. And I'm getting through it, hopefully by the end of this week. So, How's it going? It's good. It's about a lot of women. She writes about women and their struggles and their diverse neighborhoods. So it's about poor, middle class, low middle class individuals and a... Scarborough by whom? Catherine Hernandez. I will write it down. Thank you, because I have to write the notes. 
<laughs> and I'm just going to throw this in here for the game of the week. I'm going to go with Far Cry 5. just came out. It's on PlayStation. I don't know if it's on Xbox. I don't think it is. I Not, think it's a no. PlayStation exclusive. It's a Sony thing. Um, basically is about a group of militant militia people in uh, Montana that kind of <laughs> Again, with an, an attachment to a cult thing that started up. So I, for some reason, the cults are swarming me this week. Um, it's just, it's a insanely detailed. It's a big, vast world. I've only paid about 30 minutes of it, so I haven't really dug into it, but it looks really cool, and I've heard great things about it. How did it you get it? Downloaded it through the PlayStation Store. Okay, I don't know how to do that. And then I'm assuming there is a rating of it? Do you have a... Dude, I don't know anything about gaming. Okay. We'll get so, into this. It'll be fun. So um, we're not we're not going to spend hours on gaming. It's just I'm going to throw them in there when there's something that's. Is of, there a rating system? There is. This is well into the adulter, like mature audience. Mature audience would be yeah. I think would be the rating in okay. gamer speak. I don't know. I don't ever follow them because no one does. I've always been an adult when I've been playing games. So I never had games when I was a kid. We'll get into it more. Okay. So. I, I highly recommend it just because it sounds, even the, like the music to it is really good. So it's got a Game good music score. is getting so and the visual better. effects are good? Yeah, they're phenomenal. It's all 4K rendered. Yeah, the, the, the podcast that I listen to, the Cinematic Score Radio, he always brings in a couple uh, game scores. And it's nice to hear them out of context of a game because they kind of get lost on me when they're right. in the background of a game. So that's in there. So coming down the home stretch, what's on our radar and what's on our queue? Anthony. Let's see here. I'll be trying to watch Stories We Tell by Sarah Polly. It's a documentary about her finding her real father. The Florida Project has just landed on Amazon Prime with the hours, so I'll be watching those two. Florida Project, that's the one with William uh, Defoe. Defoe. Okay. And the hours is Aubrey Plaza and a couple others in it, but it's about nuns going Crazy. Not the other hours? No. Not the other hours, not Michael Cunningham. <laughs> this is the hours with the nuns going sex crazy in the 60s, 70s, and whatnot, and how they're breaking tradition and doing what they want to do. It's so weird. Did you say sex crazy? Yes. Okay. I was yeah. just checking. Yeah. Today's theme is sex. all about sex. It seems so, to be. Um, backwards a little bit. I watched WrestleMania last week. A lot oh. of surprises. I will say the surprise I saw, and because, like I mentioned, I haven't watched it in a very, very long time, was the pictures coming out the next day of Rowdy Ronda Rousey yes. <laughs> wearing the same exact outfit that Rowdy Rowdy Piper wore. That's her mentor. She said that's so, her mentor figure. Okay. But it was entertaining to watch, so I'll go more in depth with that in my writing of the event. But, hmm. And I think Val should be watching more wrestling. No. <laughs> I um Sorry. I am going to watch this. That, that's what drew up our plays and viewership was all about the writing, about the, they want to see you. That's BS. They do. That's, I have not seen any comments. I have. Come in on. my mind. Come on, people. Okay, so on Amazon, um, I am going to watch uh, The Secret Scripture, and it has um, Rooney Mara and Vanessa Redgrave. Uh, I'm going to be honest. The um, Rotten Tomatoes didn't give it the best score. I don't really care. It looks really interesting to me. Uh, it's about uh, Rose Grunimara, who, here we go, keeps a diary of her extended stay at a mental hospital and unraveling a mystery of her incarceration and the tales 
of her passionate yet tortured life. So I thought that looks at this thing as Jason would be like, my God, can you just watch anything like Can I have a sidestep here? Why is everyone using Rotten Tomatoes as like a quotation device in movie trailers? Like no, Rotten meant, Tomato scores, blah, blah, no, blah. No, no, I meant because of all the different... I understand what you're saying. I am just saying that there are people that do do that. And a lot of people, who was it that just told me that if it doesn't have a certain score on Metacritic or whatever, oh, <laughs> that they don't even give Bother. it, that they don't even give it. It was a friend of mine, actually, yesterday. And I was like, are you serious? And um, I'm going to really try to see A Quiet Place with Jason. We're, I, we need to get out to see it together. And then I'm going to... Just tell Jason to be very quiet. Right. No snacks. Yeah. Um, I, I love the stories that are coming out about that. Like people are like getting basically death threats here in the movie for like <laughs> so, snacking on popcorn. I'm really hoping that we do that. So getting these two would be great. I would love to see Leisure Seeker and Isle of Dogs, but that's probably not going to happen. But it's in my queue. Yeah. Um, Isle of Dogs is, yeah, it just came out this week. So it's in a couple of theaters here. And I don't know how long it's going to stay. I'm, I'm probably going to say this week and next, and then it's probably going to go. It's in Webster right now. Yeah, it's in Webster. It's at Cinemark as well, and it's at Pittsburgh as well. Yeah. So um, so that's, yeah, that's on my queue of if I can get out to go see something that week. This week, it'll probably be that. Um, this week's pretty jam-packed for me, so I am probably might be skipping the theater this week because next week is getting closer to Marvel Day. That's Marvel um, Day. Marvel Day. Avengers Infinity Four. Which comes out when? Next week. Not this week. Next week. Did I read something about the Avengers um, coming out with the trailer that was terrifying? Where? Which trailer? What? Okay. Some, I, I think I just read something about that they came out with a new um, trailer that was scary. I'll look into that. Please look into that because I... I, tr- I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, that's weird. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I went and watched uh, Rampage, the new rock movie. And? I, yeah, I, I chose that over Isle of Dogs simply because I just got off a run and I only had a half an hour to get to the movie. Okay. And Rampage was a half an hour later than Isle of Dogs, oh. so I wouldn't have made it to Isle of Dogs. What, what is Rampage about? Rampage is the one about rocks saving the city with a big giant gorilla and a big <gasps> Oh, that's right. It's just, it's one of those, like, King Kong. If you like, yeah, I wouldn't even say put it up we there with King Kong. Adaptations. King Kong has heart. This doesn't. <laughs> this is all about money. D- things getting destroyed. So if you want to just like have a good time and watch things like animals that beat are up big. on each other and big and rocks say stupid, funny lines Catch at times. You know he's not the kind um, of rock anymore. He's very serious now. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yes. Dwayne Johnson. He he's now he's he's worked with Lin Manuel Miranda, so he is. Legit. He's uh, Black Adam when they finally get around to filming that. He's already cast as a superhero. I thought they were going to cast him as Green Lantern. I don't even know who Black Adam is. He's in the DC world. All right. um, So, yeah, Rampage. uh, If you're looking for something to do and just want to basically zone out, it's (laughs) it's made for being in the theater and watching big things on screen. (laughs) screen get destroyed but <laughs> you okay there hiccup heartburn oh it's coming back up on me bad movie burned um, <laughs> bad movie burned it doesn't rate high on my movie list but i still had fun for just zoning out for an oh. hour and a half oh that one thing is on our list what's that movie 
um, with Liam Neeson, and it's on Amazon right now. Commuter. The commuter. Commuter. Oh, my gosh. Grace Jason, saw that. Jason totally wants to watch the commuter. So have we seen it? I haven't. Grace saw it. I'll go see what she thinks. Okay. Anyway. On my listening list this week, like I said, I listened to uh, Cinematic Sound Radio, and so I got a couple. Of, I still got to go through A Quiet Place uh, score. Uh, the Red Sparrow score keeps con- haunting me to come back and listen to it, <laughs> and after I heard another cue yesterday, I'm probably going to go back. It was it was scored by James Newton Howard, so um, there's that. And then uh, Cloverfield Paradox. I didn't even like think about that music because the movie was so bad. But a couple of the pieces of the score I heard were decent. So I might go to see if I can find that on Spotify because I'm too cheap to go out and actually buy CDs. So if it's not on Spotify, I really don't listen to it. Uh, On my radar to watch this week is Bosch Season 4 came out. Mm. Um, It's on Amazon Prime. It's basically a story about a a cop in Los Angeles. It's acted very well. I can't remember the name of the actor who's the the prime actor. Isn't that... um, I uh, never mind. He's good. It's a good series. <laughs> I like it. It's one of those. Like, Rispy? Giovanni Riz? No, no, no. You're thinking of Sneaky Pete. Yes. You're thinking of Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's on this week. I'll go through that. Kodachrome comes out on Netflix on the 20th. So that's Thursday. Um, that's the one. Um, yeah, that looks decent. Is it? Is it Titus? I missed that show. Titus, yeah. Is it Titus Welver or something? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, there you go. Yeah. He's really good. Okay. He's just a pissed off person. <laughs> but okay. it, it's a it's a man trying to to yeah, just watch the damn see the shows. They're good. Okay. Um, like I said, Kodachrome, Isle of Dogs is on the radar still. Uh, and if you're into it, Super Troopers two opens up as well Mm-mm. on four twenty. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I, I've watched the first one more than once, and it, it's got a couple lines in it that are fun. But, hey, mm. it takes a certain kind of person to like the, the films. So I think that's our, our radar and our cue today. Okay. Valerie's just sitting here staring at me. I'm. She's giving me the devil daggers. No, I think my brain is just like fried. It's fried. Turned off. Yeah. Well, Valerie, where can we find you? At home. Um, no, I am. <laughs> Please don't go find her home. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to actually try to become more prevalent with my PennyLane64 uh, at Twitter. And uh, can I say or somewhere else? PennyLane64. Oh, on Instagram. But you're going to basically get to see a whole bunch of pictures of cute little people so um i'm gonna get more active with the film stuff on in, on uh, twitter so cool and just uh tag at cultural student of course i and, will and uh you'll get wrapped into our feed how about you tony i'm all over facebook as usual and on twitter and on instagram but i'm private so send me a message and i'll see if i want to add you he's private but he's all over facebook no, my Twitter is open. Facebook's open. My Instagram is private. So oh. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Also, um, quick plug here. Um, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is uh, 1-800-273-8255. Um, if you're in distress, having emotional 
needs need to express yourself or you just need to talk to someone, just call them. And you don't have to be suicidal to call them. You just need to talk to someone. So the number again is 1-800-273-8255. Thank you. And as usual, you can find me as at GF Media or at GF Media CEO pretty much anywhere. That's Twitter. Uh, you can find my Facebook page, um, GF Media Entertainment, YouTube, Vimeo. Um, I make films and shoot photos and spend a lot of time in the theater. So you can find us at culturalstew.net or at culturalstew.net on Twitter or on Facebook at culturalstew. If you liked our show, head on over, give us a rating. Or if you Check didn't like our iTunes. show. Yeah, if you liked us, you hate us, let us know. We'd like some <laughs> feedback. We're 10, we're 10 episodes in. Somebody out there is still listening. So let us know what you thought. Talk to you later. Next time. See you. Bye. The intro and break music is Please Listen Carefully by Jazir, available through the Creative Commons license from Free Music Archive. The outgoing music is provided by Epidemic Sound. Please see our show notes for details on what the outgoing song is and who it is by. And also, as always, if you have a piece of music that you'd like us to play or consider playing, please contact us today. Like what you've heard? Want to continue to hear more? Please consider Patreon. What is Patreon, you ask? Patreon is a content creator support site, a way for people to support the things they love and allow creators to continue creating the content that they love. Please consider heading over to patreon.com slash gfmedia and becoming a Patreon supporter today.